Man, what a great night, huh? God's good. <clears throat> and all the time? Man, you guys are good too. Well, <clears throat> tonight we're going to be taking a look at um, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at the second of the seven churches, which is a church called Smyrna. Let's, uh, let's take a look together. At the scripture, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, Lord, we just uh, a desire to know you more, God, to understand uh, the depths of you. God, your word declares that the only way that we can know the, the heart of God, the depths of God, is through the Spirit of God. God, I pray that by your Spirit you would anoint this time, gift it, and, and bless it, God. Open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to both see receive open our ears that we might hear lord that you would be glorified in this place and magnified here lord we lift this time to you in jesus name amen well we come to per my personal favorite <coughs> is the church of smyrna the church of smyrna is is known as the persecuted church it it uh, uh can uh be an example of uh, a period of time in which the church was persecuted. There's just one small problem, right? The church is still persecuted, isn't it? Uh, we might not be suffering persecution here, but there's a lot of places that would say, yeah, that stuff's still going on. It's still happening. It's still a part of, of the things that are going on. So again, as we come to this church, there's something that we might be able to glean from what we see, what we know about the church in Smyrna. So let's take a look a little bit historically. Smyrna is 35 miles north of Ephesus. It is in what we would call Turkey today. Uh, in fact, there's still a town there. The town there today is called Izmir. Uh, same place on the same grounds as uh, Smyrna of old. We know that in 195 B.C., they erected a temple to the goddess of Rome. That is roughly, oh, let's say 40 years before Rome became a power. They saw on the horizon, oh, Rome's coming. Rome is going to grow and become this great power. So we're going to start uh, catering to Rome right out of the gate. So because of that, they, they find themselves in favored status. <clears throat> in 26 A.D., they competed for the honor of erecting a temple to Caesar for temple worship. It was under Emperor Tiberius and Smyrna won. So they got to put up this temple to Tiberius. Most famous street in Smyrna was called Golden Street. Golden Street was a street full of temples. Full of uh, worship opportunities to worship false gods. The first one closest to the bay was the temple to the goddess Sybil. Next you have the temple of Apollo. Then you have the temple of Escapulus, which was the, the god of healing. Next came the temple of Aphrodite. And finally, the temple of Zeus. Lots of temples in the midst of Smyrna. There was a large population of Jews there in Smyrna. In fact, not that long after the book of Revelation was received... Um, certainly within 50 years, there was a call from the, the Jews who got together with the citizens there and asked for the people of Smyrna to put to death the pastor of the church of Smyrna. 
You might know his name. His name is Polycarp. He was appointed by John, the writer of the book of Revelation. And when this letter was received in Smyrna, he was around 20 years old. So all of these pieces hopefully help us get a little bit of an idea what Smyrna is all about. When we looked last week, the first letter to the first church told us one of the things that is needed within the New Testament church of Jesus Christ is love for Christ. What we learn from the second letter to the second church is that the second mark of a New Testament church is persecution. So, let's dive in. <clears throat> in John chapter 15, verse 18, think of these, these words that Jesus told us. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus told us in John 15 that we would see persecution. In fact, we're going to see Paul write to Timothy and tell him, Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. That's a promise that's probably not on your fridge, right? When, when we look at the circumstances of our life, when we look at <coughs> excuse me, the struggles that we have, when we look at, why has life got to be so hard? Well, think back to what Jesus said in John 15. Jesus said in John 15, you're not of this world. If you're of this world, everything would be great, cushy, you know, whatever. You, you, you'd it'd fall in line. But you're, you've chosen to step out of line with the world and into line with Christ. And Jesus said, the world hates me. So if you come stand over here, I just want you to know, the world's going to hate you too. It shouldn't shock us when we find ourselves going through the fiery trials that can beset us, right? And that is really something that Jesus wants to talk to the church in Smyrna about. There's four things we're going to see tonight uh, that hopefully... Um, I'll be able to bring out for you four things that we'll see here in verses 8 to 11. And there are four things about Jesus Christ. One, we're going to see who He is. Two, we're going to see what He knows. Three, we're going to see what He commands. And fourth, we're going to see what He promises. So let's take a look at who He is. Verse 8, to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And remember when John was told to write these things. He said, write the things which you have seen. Chapter 1, the unveiling, right? The pulling apart of the curtain so that we can clearly see who Jesus Christ is. And from chapter 1, in each of the seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus is going to refer to some part of his description that is an encouragement to that church. That is an encouragement to that church. So here we see two things about who he is. <clears throat> He's the first and the last. Which makes Jesus Christ Yahweh. Or another way of saying it is that makes Jesus Christ eternal God. Jesus, who's speaking here? Look in your Bibles. It's red, right? This is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is dictating seven letters to seven churches, right? And as he's dictating them, he says, I am the first and the last. I'm the first word. I'm the last word. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. All of these are titles of the eternal God. You remember, I, I've shared with you before, we'll share them again quickly, Isaiah 41.4. Says, who has performed and who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning. I the Lord am first, and with the last I am. He lays out for us. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of Hor the Lord of hosts. I am the first, 
and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. So what do we have here? We have the Lord, the King of Israel, and the Lord, the Redeemer. You have Father and Son laid out for us in Isaiah 44, 6. Both Redeemer and the King. Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am He. I am the first. I am also the last. Just in case we forget. Revelation 1, 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. Again, who's speaking in Revelation chapter 1? It's the unveiling of who? Jesus Christ. Who's speaking? Jesus is speaking. And he calls himself the Alpha, Omega, beginning and first and last. All titles for the eternal God. Revelation 21.6, just in case you're still arguing with me. And he said to me, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Who on earth said, come unto me all you who are thirsty and I will give you drink. Who said those words? Jesus. Who said, I will give the water of life to whoever asks? Jesus did. Who is he? Eternal God. First and the last. Finally, Revelation twenty-two thirteen. This very clearly is Jesus speaking because it says, I, Jesus. Just in case that the rest isn't enough for you. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. First thing he tells Smyrna, I am eternal God. Why is he telling them that? Because they're going through it, guys. I don't know what we think we might suffer, but Smyrna was getting hammered. Smyrna was getting hammered. They, were, they, they would take up 300. I think that one, uh, <coughs> one report said up to 1,000 believers killed in one day. One day. This was a place of extreme persecution against the church. And what does God want him to know? God wants him to know, I am eternal God, but that's not all. Then what did he say? Not only am I eternal God, but I am what? I am he who was dead and came to life again. I am eternal God and I am the resurrection and the life. Now, isn't that comforting words for people who are being martyred right and left? Think about when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Mary and Martha saying, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus saying to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. He who believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, look. Nobody ever dies in Christ. Dying for us, human beings, we think of dying as the end, the close of the book. It's finished. But dying's not the end in Christ, is it? Because the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We close our eyes here, we open them before the Redeemer, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, I was dead. I'm not telling you to go nowhere I haven't been. Right? Jesus walked that path for us. But just like David would would announce in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. He's been there. He's walked that journey. And He will help us through. John 14, 19 says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. I love this. Because I live, you will live also, nobody's ever lost. And the word that God has for the church in Smyrna may be a little different than the word we like to hear. Right? We like to hear, I'll heal you, I'll fix it, I'll make all your problems go away. That's not what God tells Smyrna, is it? Now he's got another word for them altogether. So, who does he tell them I am? I am eternal God, I am the resurrection and the life. So he wants them to know this is important. Then we see what he knows. Look at verse 9. What he knows. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He 
He says, I know your works. You know that God sees all the stuff we do? Everybody else don't see. I tell people all the time who are part of ministry, because one, <clears throat> one of the struggles in ministry is uh, um, people get frustrated because everybody doesn't know all the stuff that, that anyone else does. Whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's somebody taking care of a bookstore, or somebody running sound, or somebody on a worship team. Nobody really understands what that person has to do to, to do whatever they're doing. And I try to tell them the same thing. They're never going to know. So stop being frustrated that they don't know. Don't worry about that part. The part you need to know is God knows your works. If you're doing it for God, then you should be okay if they think you're a knucklehead. What matters is what's God think? Who are we doing it for? In the church of Smyrna, I love that phrase every time we read it. We're going to read it. Six times, five times maybe. I know your works. Yeah, they don't, God doesn't miss them. God doesn't lose them. God doesn't forget them. So we can know that all those things that we do for the Lord, God, God has. He's got it. He's got it. He's not going to forget it. He's not going to lose it. I know your works. Second, I know your tribulation. The word is thalipsis. I know the crushing you're going through right now. Anybody else ever felt that way? You ever felt like your life, you're just being crushed? Candle being smooshed on both ends? Just pressure, constant pressure. God says to Smyrna, I know the crushing you're going through. It's interesting that the word Smyrna is derived from the word myrrh. Myrrh, that, that aloe that was given uh, for, the, for the dead, to anoint the dead. Myrrh is, is brought about by taking a plant and crushing it. So Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulation. I know the crushing. I know the pressure. I know the hassle that you're going through. Think about what Jesus said when Jesus was talking about this. Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at the <clears throat> Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5.10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Gosh, that's another one we don't have on our fridge, huh? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, you know, a lot of time what holds us back from being willing to witness or to share our faith is the fact that someone may ridicule us or make fun of us or put us down or, or we just don't want to have to deal with that stuff. And what the Lord says is, blessed are you when that happens. Because now you're being treated like the prophets of old. Now you're being treated like those who have sided with Christ. For far too long, we want to live somewhere in the middle. And the middle doesn't belong to Jesus, man. The fence belongs to the devil, right? You know that? You try to be on both sides of the fence, that whole plot of ground gets picked up and shoved in the hill. Jesus said, choose this day. Choose life. Choose to live. Choose to, to take that side that says, you know what, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed to make a stand where other people are going to poke fun or make fun of me because Jesus right here in Matthew 5 is saying they did that to every prophet that came before him. So he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Because that's how they treated the people who were on his side before it's something that we have to ask ourselves. If the world loves us <clears throat> and treats us well, are we really siding with Christ? Are we really, really choosing Jesus' side? It's easy to just stay in the middle and not, not say that these things are wrong or these things are sin. I'm just going to stay down the middle where I don't offend anyone. Jesus never walked down the middle and didn't offend anyone. Jesus had no problem saying murdering babies is wrong. In fact, God said, that never even entered into my mind, what you guys are doing. That's what he told Israel when they were doing it. 
And whatever Israel did, they, they, the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, it, the name literally means the Valley of Weeping, which makes sense because of what occurred within the Valley of Hinnom. That's where two of the kings of Israel sacrificed their children for blessing upon their kingdom. Well, whatever Israel did, folks, the United States has done so much more. We say six million is a holocaust. What's 60 million? Well, I don't know. It's so controversial. It ain't controversial. That's life. And if it's not controversial to God, He knows what side He stands on. What about gay marriage? Oh, that's, I don't know if I want to get into that. Well, God didn't mind getting into it. God didn't, why didn't God mind getting into it? Guys, there's a lot of things in the Bible. Maybe you go, gosh, I don't really understand why that was such a thing. For example, you know, the woman was considered unclean whenever her menstruation, her period came. And you think, wow, is God just uptight about that? That's natural part of the body. What's the big deal? Oh, no. See, the menstruation signified death, not life. Homosexual union signifies death. No life can come from that. God says, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the what? Living. God doesn't have a hard time picking a side. You say, well, either I'm with him or I'm not. And those are just two areas right now where the church is floundering. Oh, I don't know where we're supposed to be. Really? Because it's not hard to figure it out in the Bible. It's not hard to figure it out. Jesus said, blessed are you when they persecute you. Because you stand up and say, God says it's wrong. And they mock you. That's so stupid. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Jesus says, yeah, they did that to the prophets. Blessed are you. In 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12, listen to what, he saw, what, what Paul tells Timothy. <coughs> Excuse me. Persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra... What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You know, Paul's idea of deliverance is a little different than yours and mine, right? Paul's idea of endurance is that I was able to bear them and keep going. You could not stop Paul, right? Persecute him, he keep going stronger. You read, uh, <clears throat> I always get confused, 1 Corinthians 12 or 2 Corinthians 12. Paul goes through a long list of all the things he suffered, right? All the things laid out for us. But hey, man, he's saying, look, guys, all of these things I suffered, God, God delivered me. He delivered me. How did he deliver him? He brought him through them all. He brought him through it all. The Lord says, I know your tribulation. I know the pressure. I know your works, the things you're doing. Then he said, I know your poverty. The word for poverty literally is that you're destitute. In Smyrna, what was happening is because they would side with Christ, the government would come in and say, well, then this ain't yours no more. It's mine. For, gosh, I don't know. Let's just say the 20 years I've been in ministry, that... This big threat out there. If we, if we don't toe the line with the government, oh, you'll lose your tax-exempt status. Well, maybe for some people that will make a difference. I don't know. But I say better off they just take it now. Get it done with. And stop threatening. Because once that's over, then they can't tell a preacher, you can't preach these things. You can't teach what the Word of God says. You can't say that this is wrong, or that is wrong, or this is sin, or that is sin. You can't say that you can't preach these things <clears throat> to the people. By the way, some of the things I talked about already tonight are illegal in Canada. So don't think it's not ever going to happen. In fact, if I came to the Canadian border and said I was going across to teach at a, a, a Bible conference they would want to know what the conference was on and what i was teaching on and depending on what i said i could either enter into the country or be told to go home that's the world that's the world that's how it is look he says i know your poverty your destitute they're taking things but god says 
you're not, you're not, uh, uh, you're not poor, you're rich. You don't have anything here. Maybe you don't have an abundance. But, but God said to them, you are rich. Why? Because Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Right? Is it true? Kathy and I were blessed. God bless us. We were able to get a brand new truck. I think we had it a week before the first dent. I got tired of counting scratches. Uh, it's like, oh, I, I personally am the moth and the rust. If I touch it, it is just going to deteriorate. In fact, if you think I'm lying, ask Kathy. She'll be the first one to tell you. I took it to the car wash. Oh, this has nothing to do with nothing. I took it to the car wash today. <clears throat> I pulled it into the car wash before it even crossed my mind whether or not it fit. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen those videos of the, of the yeah. idiot who has to open his door and try to fix something before the machine rips it off? Yeah, I resembled that guy today. So, here's what I didn't know. You know those mirrors on the side? Yeah, they can fold both ways. Thank God they can fold both ways. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I'd be getting figuring out how to tell Kathy, yeah, I broke both mirrors off. Because <laughs> the mirrors on the side didn't fit. Hit the machine. Unfortunately, going the wrong way. So I bent them both like this. Ding! Thank you, Jesus, that, that, that they're designed with morons in mind so that you don't have to worry about But what is it that Jesus said? Don't put your hope in those treasures. Those are tools, right, that can be utilized for our enjoyment, that can be utilized for blessing, can be utilized to bless God and, and do the work. You know, that's, it's all good. There's nothing wrong with having that stuff, but, but don't pretend like that's your treasure. Just a tool. Just a tool. Our treasures are in heaven, right? That's, that's where we want to lay up our treasures. That's where we want to store our treasures. Because there is no moth or rust. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be able to wear out all the stuff around there. I went, I went camping with some friends one time. I don't have time for this either. I went camping with some friends one time. And I was uh, sitting around their campground. And I sat down in their chair and broke it. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Broke their chair. I get up. Uh, as I'm getting up, I grab a hold of the the whatever the what do you call them awnings or whatever that uh, give you shade. Yep, broke it too. When I knocked that over, there was a lantern hanging in it. Yeah, you guessed it. Kush! I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to my campground. I won't come visit again. Sorry. <coughs> in heaven. I won't be the moth and the rust. That's good news. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, Though as sorrowful, yet also rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. In Christ, it's not about our wealth. It's about Him. <clears throat> He's the glory of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8.1-5 Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Even though they're going through hard times, they were still able to rejoice in the Lord, rejoicing in Him, laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. And then finally he says, I know the blasphemy that you endure. The blasphemy that they endure. That word blasphemy literally is the word slander. Think about all the poor, all the bad things that they were hearing. It says, I know the blasphemy <clears throat> Um, of those who say they are Jews and are not, 
but are a synagogue of Satan. I know the blasphemy, the slander. Remember I told you the, the pastor at the church in Smyrna, what happened to him? The Jews got together, formed a big mob. They say, we're going to kill the pastor. They killed Polycarp. He was, uh, uh, some say, 108 years old. Not a huge threat to Rome. Right? But he was a pretty huge threat spiritually. He was a disciple of John the Beloved, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John and the Book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He had many disciples and a thriving uh, um, ministry in Smyrna. And so they thought the best thing to do was to, to snuff out his light. How did they do that? By making false charges, right? By making false charges against him. I know the blasphemy that you endure. God says, look, I know what people say about you and what they do about you. First Peter 2, verse 19 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if we are beaten for our faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should do what? Follow in His steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, hated, despised, slandered, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. God says to them, that, look, they're undergoing it. They're going and they're being attacked and they're being slandered and they're being blasphemed and they're being persecuted. And God says, I know it all. I know all those things that are going on. In fact, for these Jews, he says, there are those who call themselves Jews who are not. Listen to what God says about that in Romans 2 28 it says for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God basically God says everyone who calls himself a Jew is not a Jew anymore than everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian true that's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. He said, these guys are Jews. They call themselves Jews, but they're not. They're not. It's a false claim. They're not really Jews. And then he gives them the true connection. They are a synagogue of Satan, right? They're a synagogue of Satan, the persecutor. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, <coughs> seeking whom he may devour. So resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, what's that next phrase? After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Well, that's probably not on the fridge either, huh? But God doesn't ever shun from telling us the truth. Yeah, we got to go through hard things. There's going to be pressure. And, and just like what's happening in Smyrna, what was happening then, what's probably still happening in Izmir today. But God says, look, I know your works. I know all these good things. And you know, for the church of Smyrna, what God has to say about what's wrong with them? Nothing. Why? Because when the church is persecuted, it's real. Right? You guys all heard the story, right? Where the Russians went into a Bible study, said they were the KGB, had uh, their uh, AKs, and we're going to kill everyone who's still in here, every Christian who's still in here, and if they're not out of here in the next 30 seconds, and there's a bunch of people running for the door, and then after everybody ran out, and whatever was left in the room... They put their AKs down and said, now we can have a real Bible study with the real Christians. Because persecution gets rid of that which is not really committed. And it's, it's, it's sad, but it's real. And so when God is speaking to the church of Smyrna, He doesn't have a bad thing to say. 
He tells them who He is, eternal God, the resurrection and the life. And He says, I know all the stuff you're going through. I see it. It's not lost on me. I understand all those things. And I see these guys who are against you, these people who call themselves Jews, but they're not really Jews. They're working for Satan, who's a roaring lion, looking for people to devour. I get that they're with him. I know who's on what side. But look what God does command. Because it's interesting in verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Man. That's a hard word from a father to a son. Do not fear those things you are about to suffer. There's two things he's going to tell them. He's going to tell them not to fear and to be faithful. Do not fear and be faithful. As we look at it, he lays it out for us. He says, do not fear those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's laying out for him. look guys, be faithful. He's going to throw you into prison and you will be tested. You will have tribulation ten days. So let's take a look at it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the persecution uh, and suffering that you're going to endure. Remember what Paul said to Timothy. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, right? So who's the person behind the persecution? What's behind it? The devil, right? The devil's going to throw some of you into prison. Some of you are going to be bound. Some of you will be locked up. Some of you will be put away. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Who's the one? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. What are we talking about? Spiritual warfare, right? There is a real spiritual enemy that stays the enemy. So who is bringing the persecution? Who wants to treat the church shamefully? Who wants to put the church through uh, this persecution? It's not God. It's the devil. He says he's going to throw some of you into prison and you will be tested. What's the purpose of the suffering? That you will be tested. What's the purpose of the suffering? You will be tested. That word literally means that you'll be proved. Not that God doesn't know what you can handle, but you don't. God wants you to know what you can handle. God says, look, I want you to know what I see in you. So this testing comes. This testing comes so that we can know it. Look at Job 23.10. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows. God knows, and that time of testing, that time of testing is going to show us <coughs> what we are able to accomplish in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not for our destruction. It's not to wipe us out, not to make us weak. It's to show us the strength that we have in Christ. First Peter 5.8, again we saw that idea, right? That, that the, the, the devil is, is walking about as a roaring lion. But he goes on in, in uh, verse 10 to say, But may the God of grace, who has called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. There's a process that God is bringing the church of Smyrna through. And it's hard, but it's good. 
What is it that Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28? For we know most things, some things, few things. Well, that's rough to, to, to stomach, isn't it, all the time? But that's God's promise. It says all things work together for good. To who? The called. Those who love Jesus Christ. Those who are part of the family. He didn't make that promise sweeping to everyone on earth. He says to the family of God, to those who are walking with Christ, those who have chosen aside, everything in your life is for your good and God's glory. Everything. That's a promise. And if you're in the midst of it, deep up to your neck, it's enough to say, yeah, this is for my good and God's glory. Because he says, be faithful. Not only don't fear the things which you're about to suffer, but then he says, be faithful. He doesn't say, be faithful until I deliver you. What does he say? Be faithful till death. Now, hold that in your mind. Hold that in your mind. How long is that suffering supposed to last? Indeed, the devil's going to throw some of you into prison, and you will be tested. How long? Ten days. So what's that ten days mean? What does that ten days mean? Is that ten days? Some people say that ten days are ten kings from Rome and the persecution. Ten waves of persecution from Rome. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me because, I'll tell you why, because the first king is Nero and he's already dead by the time this book is written. So I don't think he's warning about that. It's first one we've been over already. Some people say it's uh, the, the ten years of persecution that came under Diocletian. Diocletian, a, a Roman emperor, brought out many waves of persecution against the church. Maybe... Maybe I like to be simple. Ten days means it's not going to last forever. Ten days means it's going to end. Ten days means it's not that long. It's not that long, especially compared with eternity. Ten days means it's temporary. And you put ten days in comparison with eternity, and it's a small thing to endure. Small thing to endure. Why do I say that it just means it's temporary? Because of the next line. Be faithful unto what? And that's rugged, right? Is that the news we want to we hear? I still remember in California in a hospital um, with my pastor, Gerald, and his wife at the time, Cindy. And we're sitting down and, and, and the <clears throat> news from the doctor kept getting worse. See, you stop wanting to see the doctor come in. At first it was, you have a spot. Then you have mass. Then you have a tumor. Then you had cancer. Then it was pancreatic. Then it was a few weeks to live. So you get, you get tired. It's like, yeah, thanks, doc. You're, you're just a bull of laughs. You know, we, we need somebody that has some kind of hope. But then I look at the letter to Smyrna and God says to the people in Smyrna who are undergoing it, going through it, being crushed, being pressed, going through persecution and tribulation, God just tells them straight out, be faithful till you die. You know, there's not really a better word for the church. It's not be faithful till things happen the way you like. It's not be faithful until things happen that you don't like. It's be faithful, period, till you die. Like when you, when you put yourself in, you're in. You're all in. It's it. I'm in. I'm up to the table. I'm not interested. I'm not looking for an escape clause. I'm not looking for a way out of this gig. I'm saying I'm here. I picked a side. You are it. That's what God is telling the church at Smyrna. Be faithful till you die. That's what God is telling the church at Buell. That's what God is telling us individually. Be faithful till you die. Life is going to be hard. 
There's going to be persecution. People are going to say bad things about you. And if you say good things about Jesus, I promise it's going to happen. But whatever you suffer will be temporary. Be faithful till you die. I think it's a good mindset to have. A good mindset to say, you know, I'm going to try. Not, not, I'm, please, I'm never selling the give Jesus a 30 day trial. No, hang that nonsense. That's dumb. We'll give Jesus a 30 day trial. Give Jesus all or don't give Jesus nothing. Save yourself the heartache. But if you're in, be faithful to death. <clears throat> be faithful all the way. Look at the promise that Jesus gives. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you. The crown of life. Hebrews 11. One of my favorite sections of scripture. Verse 32 says. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell. Of Gideon. And Barak. And Samson. And Jephthah. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in the battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others have trials of mocking and scourging. And of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down, at the right hand of the throne of God. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we endure. That's what God calls us to. It doesn't say that our road is always going to be rosy, nor does He say it's never going to be rosy. But He says persecution and suffering and tribulation is not a sign that I don't favor you. Going through hard things is not a sign that I don't like you. I used to think when bad things happened, God hated me. But that's not true. God says, I love you. I love you. Be faithful. Be faithful. Even in the hard things. Be faithful. And you will receive the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Two things. What does he tell us? Two things that will make it all worthwhile. One, a crown. What's the crown? The crown of life. I will give unto you the crown of life. In James 1.12 it says, Blessed is a man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You love God? Well, that will come out in the pressure cooker. And if you love God, God says, I'll give you the crown of life. That's eternal. Compared to whatever we might suffer here, this is small. Even if our suffering lasts 70, 80 years. It's small compared to eternity. The crown of life to those who love Him. And secondarily, he says, the consequence that will never be faced, he, will, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Remember we talked about that. Who's the overcomer? First John tells the same author, he who overcomes is he who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has faith in Him. What's the second death? That's the area 
that God created for the devil and his angels. Tartarus, hell, the lake of fire. What's the Bible tell us about it? In Revelation 26, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Remember we talked about that last time. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone's name not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. He says, be faithful unto death and you will receive the crown of life and you don't have to worry about the second death. You don't have to worry about the second death because you have the crown of life. You don't die twice. Just once. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he won't ever die. There's no second death for them. The only real death is second death. First death is just waiting in a waiting room for judgment day. Except for the believer. But the that first death, absent from the body, present with the Lord, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they don't have to fear the second death. That's everything that God has for them. They have that reward. Look, the church of Smyrna, here's the message. Life is hard, and it's going to get harder. And all this persecution you've been going through, it's going to get worse. And they're going to kill you. They're going to wipe you out. You're not going to get out of prison. You're not going to get released. So God said, be faithful to death and receive the crown of life. Could we say, yeah, I'm in. I'm with it. I'm on your side. That's a question we need to ask ourselves, right? We need to look. Are we truly on the Lord's side? Because there will be a day that it will cost. And when the time comes to pay, are we amongst the group of Russians running out the door to save our life? Or are we amongst those who say, I'm a believer and I'm going to stand for Jesus. Whatever comes, comes. That was the reality of the church in Smyrna. A church for which Jesus had nothing bad to say. Only good. I know your works, your tribulation, the things you're suffering. I got it all. And I got something for you. Be faithful till you see me. That's his word for us tonight. Be faithful to death. And I'll give you the crown of life. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.